0: Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightning, and uh, blessed are those who thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Uh, I'm here with, um, well, I have a list of names that uh, I'll start with Z uh, for my co-host and And uh, some of them, I kind of just took a Z word and uh, turned it into a name, but uh, some of them are actually uh, characters, either in comic books or cartoons. Um, I I don't know much about either of those top, but I guess maybe I know something about cartoons, but not as much about comic books. Anyway, today I'm here with Pastor Zombie Hunter, (laughs) and we are going to cover Matthew Matthew's Gospel, chapters 11 through
1: 15. And here's the thing, too. If you ever want to know uh, who these people are, at least that I reference uh, Pastor Leighton as, I posted on his Facebook wall, mainly because uh, for two reasons. One, he doesn't know who I'm referring to. And then I like post- posting more things on his Facebook wall than he does. He, he He's like my only friend on Facebook, pretty much. <laughs> As long as I'm not your only friend.
0: Yeah, it's pretty close, but yes. All right, what do you want to start out with, with chapter 11? Well, uh, we have Jesus talking about John the Baptist. This is actually a fairly tricky uh, section to discuss, uh, because Jesus says some things that are sort of cryptic. But the the clear message is that um, Jesus thought very highly of his cousin, John the Baptizer. Uh, John had an important job. And um, we were just talking about this in our family devotion the other night. Uh, At least when Jesus was on trial with Pontius Pilate, he didn't say much. He stayed silent for some of the time, but he talked a little bit. With Herod, Jesus did not say anything at all the entire time that Herod was uh, cross-examining him on Good Friday. And uh, it struck me that uh, that must have been very personal for Jesus to be facing off against the guy who uh, beheaded his beloved cousin. And here you can see Jesus talking about how much he uh, thought highly of his cousin, John, the baptizer.
1: So then Jeremy, who is the one that has the confusion? Who do you think it is? Is it John or is it his disciples or is it both? I, I've, I've heard this bad, bad about quite a
0: bit. And, um, I think, I think it is probably both. John is maybe having some apprehensions about whether or not he wasted his life, uh, but he's also a good teacher, and even in the heat of uh, his own uh, struggles, he is wanting his students to learn, and so he sends them on the
1: mission to ask Jesus this question, are you the, are you the Christ? Right, because John preached a message where he said, I baptize you with water and repentance, but the one who comes after me is mightier than I. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and yet that's not whom he sees in Jesus. And so uh, here John is the forerunner of the Christ, and he's lying in prison. And so the text doesn't really say who's confused, if it's John or or his disciples, but I agree with you that uh, it seems like it's probably both. And so John sends his disciples on to Jesus to clear everything up.
0: Uh, I was actually just thinking about this verse this morning. Uh, don't ask me why, uh, but it, it, it was, maybe it was, I think I was getting dressed or something. And I, I was thinking about how I liked the feel of how breathable my uh, t-shirt was. And uh, it, it for some reason, I thought of Jesus talking about soft clothing, uh did you go what did you go out in the desert to see uh, a man dressed in soft clothing that's verse 8 and um th- that is actually a shot uh, a little bit of a dig that Jesus makes against the uh, groupies of the Herod family people of course you know still today you want to latch onto the popular uh, crowd or the the most popular people and the herods were on the cutting edge of fashion and all sorts of celebrity lifestyle and so people who followed them would be people who wore these you know very comfortable and stylish clothing and and john by contrast would have worn the exact opposite and and he's, but Jesus kind of makes a little bit of a veiled reference there to the Herodians when he says, did you go out to see people who are most interested in fashion? No, no. He, he went out to see a prophet and you got what you, what you went for.
1: Right. And a prophet, he says in the verse right before that, in verse 7, a reed shaken by the wind. So is he someone that, uh, who's a teacher who bends his teaching to suit whatever's the most popular idea at the time? That is exactly our culture. It can be uh, preachers, it can be teachers, it can be celebrities and politicians. They basically stick their fi- they stick their finger in their mouth, they wet it, they put their finger up into the air, see which way the wind is blowing, and then they go away. They just promote whatever's popular. And John was not like that.
0: Uh, and that, that sort of maybe answers the question a little bit. That uh, when we wonder, was John? Uh, wavering himself that he sent these emissaries to ask Jesus if he was the Christ um, if, if John was wavering it wasn 't the kind of wavering that made him an unbeliever uh, Jesus is here saying he 's not a reed shaken by the wind um, he he does have a, a faith and even if it goes through moments of weakness it's it's not uh, he, he's not he 's not an unbeliever or a reed shaken by the wind
1: one of the things I wanted to bring up here too is. Uh, people will compare John to Jesus, Paul to Peter, and they compare pastors and their preaching styles too. I hear it often, you know, pastor, I really like this other pastor that came in. Not Not as much as you, of course, but this other pastor I really liked. And it is a very dangerous thing when people start ranking their pastors and their preachers of, you know, that... They like this pastor more than that pastor and this preaching style more than that preaching style. And it's dangerous in that that's not the reason why you go to a church. It's not the reason why you're a member of a church. You go there because the means of grace of gospel and word and sacraments are there no matter who the guy is in the pulpit.
0: I I wondered if you were making that comparison with reference to verse 11, because Jesus actually does speak in comparative language. Great. He said, you know, anyone greater than John the Baptist. Um, and yet in the very next line, he says, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That, it's a tough nut to crack. Does Jesus mean himself? Uh, does he mean people in the New Testament era who have even the least amount of faith are greater than John the Baptist because they get to see the finished work of the Messiah? Um, it, it's It's a little bit cryptic, but uh, the most cryptic, I think, is uh, verse 12. Right um, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing forcefully and forceful people are seizing it. Um, uh, I'm ready to walk through
1: whatever that might mean, but did you have any? Option? I was going to ask you the question of what you thought uh, that meant of uh, because I think that's the only place that I know of where it uses this kind of language. The kingdom of heaven has been advancing forcefully, or has suffered violence. The way I took that is, it can refer to people, uh, to Christians that are being persecuted.
0: Mm. Uh, that yeah, there the options that I've I've come across are that you should first of all think of an idea of grabbing up territory or or snatching. Uh, uh, grasping at, at things in a kind of a warlike way. And the question is, uh, is it the kingdom of heaven that's being grabbed up or is the kingdom of heaven grabbing up, depending on how the translation goes?
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, adv- the gospel advancing forcefully is exactly what you're saying. I, I meant the second part, forceful people are seizing it or suffering violence. That's, I think, the persecution part. But the first part is, I think of uh, the Christians going out with the gospel, like we covered in Revelation uh, chapter 6 of the gospel going out as a white writer.
0: So uh, there's an article, if ever you want to read, in the uh, uh, Wauwatosa theology that will mean very little to a lot of our listeners. But uh, it's written by a man named John Schaller. It's called The Kingdom of God. And it's all about the usage in the New Testament of that phrase, the kingdom of God. And at the very end of it, he handles this passage. And one of the things he says is it's also possible that Jesus is saying, all of these people who are flocking to me are wanting more of this kingship, this uh, kingdom of heaven that I dispense. I dole it out kind of like cookies or candy uh, and and people are so eager to grab it up that uh, they're kind of like... Violent little children that are mobbing their mom or dad. They oh, give me, give me, give me, give me more, and uh, that's kind of the picture of Jesus uh, using here that he might be saying, uh, th- this is this is good stuff. I'm giving out a very popular um, type of a, a, a blessing, and uh, violent people are flocking to me or mobbing me to get to get a, the most that they can.
1: Yeah, and then he goes on to say in the next verses that people are fickle. You give them what they want and they still complain. And what did they complain about? They complained about John, uh, and they said uh you know he has a demon, because he was so forceful. And then with Jesus, the Son of Man, he says they said about him, he's a glutton and a drunkard. And so they're saying John is demon-possessed and Jesus is a degenerate. People are fickle. And again, that 's exactly our culture today it's it 's like John is uh,
0: a wild man, but he never he was a nazarite he never touched uh, wine he let his hair grow out uh, he kind of lived like a nazarite anyway and uh, so if he 's acting crazy nobody would be able to say, oh, it's because he drinks. Nope, he does not drink. Uh, And they say, well, it must be because he has a demon. And then uh, with Jesus, oh, well, I think I saw him, you know, drinking once or twice. Or maybe I saw his first miracle turning water to wine. And uh, that must mean that uh, if he's acting crazy, it's because he's had too much to drink. And Jesus is saying, yeah, there's just no pleasing you.
1: And then if you go down to the last few verses... Uh, Jesus says those famous verses we like to use a lot. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So a yoke was a wooden cross piece that linked two oxen together so they could pull a heavy load. So taking a yoke was used as a metaphor by the Jewish rabbis to refer to becoming a disciple of someone. So here... The picture of the yoke refers to being connected to Jesus. All of the burdens that we have in our family and our work in our nation, uh, when we carry them on on our own, they're heavy. But when we give them over to Jesus, then we have rest. And the thing I want to connect before we go to the next chapter is that so often when we read these chapters, whether it's in church or on our own, we just read portions or a chapter and we're done. So I want you to see the connection between chapters 11 and chapter 12. He just talked about rest. And now the first two miracles of chapter 12 are about rest. Uh-
0: I uh, had a few more thoughts that I wanted to make on chapter 11, but I'm actually going to reference, I, I just preached a chapel devotion at Shoreland Lutheran High School. If you want to uh, look at any of our chapel devotions online, uh, I pretty well summed up my thoughts in that devotion. So you, I'll, I'll jump on to chapter 12, like you were saying. Um, and uh, we, we've got some sections that are covered already in Mark. Uh, so we, um, am I am I repeating things that you just said? I nope. Uh, we, we,
1: It'd be really good if you were paying attention. To I anything, know, you know I know.
0: I was, I was.
1: I don't know what is the problem just, with me. It's think, Friday. It, I know and it's think, Friday. It and is Friday, and you're thinking back to how good your chapel devotion. My was. brain, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah.
0: you got me. Um, uh, so we were going to kind of zip through a little bit of the parts that were already covered in Mark. Um, yeah, Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. Um, he
1: uh, he proved that he was Lord of the Sabbath. Yeah, with, with that withered hand, uh, just uh, the Greek there can refer to dried up, paralyzed, that the man's muscles seem to have atrophied. So, just that, that term withered is kind of an interesting one. Um, we've got that prediction from Isaiah in
0: uh chapter in verses 20 and 21, or or even before that, um, where Matthew does what he does in a lot of sections. He takes Old Testament prophecy and says, see, here's how it was fulfilled. Um, he, uh, he does not, uh, Jesus did not make a name for himself as a rabble rouser. Uh, he did not, uh, quarrel or cry out and people, uh, you know, he just kind of sounded and looked like a normal guy walking around in the streets. No one will hear his voice in the streets. He's not drawing attention to himself in kind of a self-promoting way. Uh, it's always in a, a he, if he does promote himself, it's always because it's
1: to serve uh, someone who needs it. And then with that, I was just working on some long-range worship plans for for Water of Life and Pastor Lightnin is going to be preaching for Saints Triumphant and I'm going to be preaching on Christ the King. And that whole idea with that last judgment and saints triumphant and Christ the King, those Sundays and end times is the first time Jesus came into our world, he came humbly. And you see that with the, the what we just read from Isaiah, that Matthew quotes and Jesus quotes. And yet, when Jesus returns on the last day for that last judgment as Christ the King, it's not going to be humble. Uh, kings and rulers, uh, they are going to be announcing their fealty to the Lord, not because they believe him, but because uh, they're terrified of him. And then Jesus heals a demon-possessed man in verses 22 and following. And what's interesting is the Pharisees claim (laughs) that Jesus is in league with the devil. And so Jesus goes on and he talks to them about how ludicrous that is. Verses twenty-five through twenty-seven, he makes the point: if Satan would take a stand against himself, then his kingdom's going to fall. And then, verse twenty-seven, he says, "If uh, Jesus Himself is driving out these demons by the devil, well, the Jewish uh, the Jewish people are driving out demons too. So then, who are they in league with the devil too?" Uh, And then verses 28 and 29, if Jesus is casting out demons by the power of God, then God's kingdom must have been present and at work in him. And he is tying up the strong man of the devil. Uh, But one thing on that before we uh, move on, since we're in October and there's all these commercials now, Jeremy, about Halloween movies, what's the greatest demon possession horror movie?
0: Uh, the, the, I was just talking with students today about this that I'm just personal taste and I'm not a big uh, horror movie fan so I don't know a lot of them but I'm going to say uh, The Exorcist I
1: would, I would have to say that too I'm not a big fan either but that's the one that always seems to stand out that's really old hmm. and I mean it was old when I was a kid and yet it's it's terrifying but that and, whole and it's idea, based on a true story right? but yeah. that whole idea of demon possession exactly just made me think of it like I said, with all these commercials coming up with horror movies all the month of October. The, we, uh, we get into that discussion
0: of the activity of demons that uh, Jesus tells us about in verses 43 and following. Um, before, oh, uh, yeah, before we touch on that, um, we have the sign of Jonah. And uh, Jesus uh, runs into Pharisees and experts in the law. And they say, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Um, And he answers, an an evil and adulterous generation wishes for a sign, um, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah, the prophet. So that kind of makes me think of uh, maybe you'd say an engaged or a married couple. And uh, let's say that this guy is just bending over backwards to uh, do whatever he can to show his love for his uh, bride to be. And uh, he he buys her gifts, he does chores for her, he spends time with her, he uh, uses his words to tell her that he loves her, he uh, is constantly proving his affection for this woman. And and she says, um, I'd like to see some more proof of your love for me. And that's kind of what we see here with Jesus and the teacher. That's why he's so uh, blunt with them. And he says, you're evil and adulterous if you wish for a sign. What you're really saying is, uh, I wish, uh, uh, I need you now to jump through yet another hoop to show me that you love me. Uh, Otherwise, I am out of this relationship. And uh, that's really, the the adulterous part is kind of like, uh, it sounds like you're looking for an excuse to get out of this relationship. And um, uh, I, I'm just thinking in those terms because we've got the uh, course I teach is called the Christian Church. So I'm always talking about how Christ is married to his church. And I, that's just yep. the yeah, way they, I think.
1: Yeah, they're looking to control Jesus. They wanted him to prove himself to them according to their agenda, not according to his agenda. And he says, all right, I'll give you one sign. And it's a sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah was that he was basically dead in the belly of the fish for three days. And Jesus is going to be dead in the belly of the earth for three days. And three days in Jewish time means any portion of a day, not three days and three nights. So
0: when Jesus says, and three nights, he's including the next night because it gets tagged on to uh, that uh, that part of the
1: day. Yeah, and then he goes on to say that, The people of Nineveh and the queen of the south were more righteous than uh, these leaders of God's people. What he means is because they had less to work with. The people of Nineveh only had Jonah to listen to, and he was not a great prophet. Uh, He didn't perform any miracles. The queen of Sheba, the queen from the south, had only Solomon to listen to, and Solomon uh, didn't perform any miracles either. Jesus performed miracles. Here is the son of man, Uh, in the flesh, and yet the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, and the people of Nineveh, they repented, and now the people of uh, Jesus' time have the Son of God right there in their midst performing miracles, speaking the word of God, who is the word of God in the flesh, and they refuse to believe
0: uh The reference earlier to the Exorcist and demon possession uh, now it comes full circle with what Jesus says in verses forty three and following uh, he short He sort of uh, talks us through something that we cannot see. You can't see, uh, there's no um, uh, scientific tracking uh, or meteorological type of uh, uh, following of demons and and what do they do and how do they move. Uh, And Jesus says, here's how they move. You might not see it, but uh, I'll tell you. Um, You can uh, guess that they're going to be driven out of a place and they'll move around a little bit, but sooner or later, they're, they're kind of homebodies. They want to get back into where they felt comfortable before. And so, uh, a good way to think of this is when Jesus says that the demon comes back with seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and live there, and the last condition of that person becomes worse than the first, Um, try to think of an example, and I'll use, let's say, an alcoholic. Um, You could just as easily use somebody maybe with an addiction to pornography or gambling. And uh, let's say this person Uh, has a a bright moment of enlightenment and says, I've got a problem. I need to quit this addiction. Uh, And then that person starts talking and and thinking and saying, uh, I really got to clean up my life. I'm going to clean up my life. Doggone it. I'm going to really straighten myself out. And they uh, give up whatever it is and, and clean out all of their bad habits. Well, then all they are really is a empty house that uh, the demon then comes back to and says, oh, I like I like this place. It's, it's nice and roomy for even more uh, to come in. And that's why, you know, if I would use the, again the example of uh, internet pornography, somebody might get rid of that bad habit. But when you can pat yourself on the back and say, I did this, I got myself clean, um, you actually are then making room for even more and worse demons to inhabit you. Um, or maybe not be demon possessed, but at least be influenced by demons to think uh, that I'm I'm the one who cleaned myself out, and uh, you're actually even more of a tool of Satan when your life is quote unquote clean than when you were a drunk.
1: That's great. Anything else you want to bring up with chapter twelve?
0: Nope. Let's move
1: on to thirteen. All right. So chapter thirteen, uh, Jesus is telling parables. Uh, there are going to be seven parables that he's telling in this chapter. Uh, verse three says, uh, he told them many things in parables. Uh, so Jesus is using common experiences to illustrate profound spiritual truths. This is something I like to do. Uh, just teaching in Bible class and teaching in catechism class, just trying to take something that has a deeper meaning and then simplify it for children, for adults, by putting it into a different context. And that's what Jesus is doing here with these parables. He's giving uh, the people a picture of how the kingdom of God operates and grows. And the first one is uh, a sower. Uh, So a farm laborer is going out and scattering seed. And whenever I read this parable, I think of the one time when I was on the farm as a teenager uh, and it would have been early spring, a warm day, and I had a bag, a, a cloth bag uh, strapped around my shoulder. There's a tube uh, coming out from the bag and then just walking up and down a field with uh, alfalfa and hay and grass seed, just going back and forth with that tube, just planting seed. And that's what this sower is doing.
0: Um, and, and that's what preachers do. Uh we we're just uh keep walking whatever our field is. Uh, for me it's a high school class classroom for uh Pastor Zarling. It's uh it's his uh, congregation and two site campus um and in, in the grade school. Uh just uh continuing to call out God's reconciliation to anybody that will listen. And uh sometimes that seed takes root and sometimes it doesn't, but uh it's finally not dependent on the sower, uh, whether or not it grows, it's God's doing.
1: Right. And the seed grows and some of it lands on what we think is really good soil. And I think of people that uh, go through the really long and arduous journey of becoming members. It takes a long, it's an hour and a half Bible class, usually four months of in-depth study. And I've had this happen, Sally, a number of times. People put all that time and effort in, and then they join one Sunday, and I never see them again. Hmm. You know, they, they do that for years in catechism class for youth, and I never see them again. Something happens. Something grabs hold of them. And yet, then there's others. You think that they're on the rocky soil. They're on weedy soil. Uh, just got a message this week from someone. I had kind of written off. I hadn't seen the guy. And his wife, after I married him and they moved away, and it's probably been two or three years. And I thought, oh, they're gone. They're, they're lost. And then he messaged me and said, hey, pastor, I'm really excited. I found a Wells church. We're really active in this church right now. And there's a number of our other families that were more of the New Hope congregation, so I didn't know them. But uh, one pastor asked me to transfer their membership. He said, I gather that they weren't very, very involved at New Hope when they were there but now they're really active here. That's the, the seed that plants it's in there for a long time. You don't think it's growing. And all of a sudden it sprouts.
0: It, and it grows a hundred or, or 50 or 30 times what you, what you put into it. Um, I, I'm going to jump ahead to uh, the parables of the treasure, the pearl and the net, and also the um, expert in the law the that's well-trained in the kingdom of heaven um, these seem to be ones that aren't common to all uh, the other two gospels, Mark or Luke. And uh, first of all, you've got the treasure. Uh, There's a man that uh, stumbles upon the treasure. Uh, A good way to compare these two is that the treasure and the pearl sort of go side by side. When you think of, there are people out there who uh, just sort of stumble upon the good news of Jesus, and they didn't, they didn't uh, they, they didn't have any kind of a curiosity about it they weren't spending a lot of time looking for it and and it, they just stumbled on it uh the hunter for the pearl uh, sort of makes it his life's goal to look for valuable things and so that's also uh it, that the comparison then is sometimes people f- find the kingdom uh without trying and sometimes people uh, spend their whole life trying And it's not their trying that made it come to them. Uh, It's just that this was a passion for them. And maybe the takeaway is uh, no matter what kind of interests you have, whether you're philosophical or not, uh, the the kingdom of heaven is valuable and it's worth giving up everything in order to obtain it.
1: And then to tie in an earlier parable with one that's after the one that you mentioned is... uh, the sower goes out and he sows the sea in the field. But at night time the enemy comes and he sows weeds in the field. So now you've got weeds and wheat growing up side by side. And the servants are wondering, well, we should go and pull up the weeds. And the master says, no, you can't do that because you're going to pull up the wheat. Uh, later on, the parable is the fisherman casts out his net. He catches good fish and bad fish. And the point is, that we don't go rooting around to pull out the hypocrites inside mm. the church. We wait until Judgment Day. And I was just thinking about this. So I know this is, I'm, I'm so much older than you are, Jeremy. So you don't, you don't remember the TV series V, do you? No. No, that's, that's way before your time. So V was a miniseries and it was all about fascism. That was a hidden thing in it of, but aliens coming to earth. And they seemed really good, but eventually it became more fascist and taking over over the world. And these the the aliens look like people, but if you pulled off their face, there were lizards underneath. The the big shocking thing in V was the leader of uh, of the the visitors, the V, uh, when they came to Earth, was she unhinged her jaw in human form and swallowed a gerbil. Mm. Okay, and then one guy, a human guy, was fighting with the visitor, pulled, off, pulled on his face, and he came off, and it's, uh, and it's this big lizard guy from space. Well, the idea is you and I can't do that, can't pull off people's faces here on Earth and find out that they're hypocrites inside the church. Uh, we need to wait until Judgment Day, and then he can separate the aliens, the the lizard people, from us as Christians.
0: Now, How do we know that uh, this analogy to uh, a science fiction uh, TV show is uh, actually a good analogy or not? Well, I'll tell you, uh, it's because of what Jesus said in verse 52. Uh, He said, therefore, every expert that has been uh, in the law that has been trained as a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his treasure, uh, his uh, storage room, both new things and old things and i'm 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 dead serious about this uh how when you teach when you teach god's word um there are comparisons that you that you make you know you say uh well belief or having faith is kind of like a farmer sowing his seed that's an old analogy and jesus here uses it and it's a good one um well uh it, 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 jesus says but you also need to use new comparisons new analogies like v or the the science fiction television shows uh you can 't unmask the hypocrites like you can unmask the aliens
1: um, but that's but to be fair that's still an old analogy too I mean it is like forty years old now I mean
0: relative to me
1: yeah
0: uh, but uh relative to the grand scheme of history uh jesus's is a little older. Okay. Uh, and, and, but either ones are both of them are good and both of them are important to keep using. Uh, that's why Jesus says this about the uh, the I'll, steward. I'll remember
1: that the next time I'm I'm preaching on this text and I I get all the eye rolls because I brought up a TV series from 1983. That's a science fiction series. I say like, Pastor lightning said this is a good one. The 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 well trained expert in the law brings out old treasures as or new treasures as well as
0: old. So that that would be a newer treasure. Um, uh, I don't have a lot to say about Mark 14 and 15. Uh, much of it is what we've covered in uh, our comments on Mark's gospel, and uh, th- there there's some familiar uh, anecdotes and and events. Uh, John being beheaded, uh, Jesus yeah, feeding so, thousands. Yeah, with,
1: with John being beheaded, I wanted to make another good movie reference, another old movie refer- reference, because you know the interesting thing here is how. Jesus feels about his cousin, uh, the forerunner of the Christ, being beheaded. And uh, what does Jesus do? Well, there's a lesson for us that we as Christians today, as we're persecuted, that we need to operate like Jesus did. He did not seek vengeance. He didn't try to overcome his enemies by political power. And the church rejoices that its martyrs, many of whom have borne uh, witness before kings, are now in heaven. So again, referencing these horror movies, have you ever seen the horror movie? The answer
0: is probably no.
1: Pumpkinhead? No. No? (laughs) Okay. And I take that personally as someone with a large head. Uh, uh, Pumpkinhead. So Pumpkinhead is another older one. That's back when I watched these things. But the premise of Pumpkinhead was very interesting in that the guy, uh, Ed Harley, while he's gone into town, he's out in the country some teenagers are on dirt bikes and they accidentally run over and kill Ed Harley's young son. Hmm. And well, he's vengeful. So he goes to a witch that's out in the woods and she calls down a curse. But the curse is that she raises up a demon who comes up in a pumpkin patch. Hmm. That's why he looks like, that's why he's called pumpkin head, not that he has a head that's like a pumpkin. But he goes after these teens, and that's where the horror movie comes in. He kills all these people in horrific manners. But the reason I reference the movie is what's interesting is at toward the end of the movie, that Pumpkinhead's head changes from this demon. It looks like uh, the xenomorph in Aliens. And his head changes as the movie progresses, and he looks more and more human-like, more and more like... Ed Harley, the hmm. guy who called the vengeance on the teens, and then ed harley 's face changes his eyes and so forth, his teeth to look more demonic, hmm. so the whole purpose of that movie is uh, the danger of vengeance, and I just bring it up here because notice that Jesus does not bring about, bring about vengeance on Herod like you said. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a very interesting thing earlier when he 's before King here later on during his trial, he says nothing. He does not bring vengeance down, down on the king then either, and that's a lesson for us.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I, I would take the lesson from Jesus, not Pumpkinhead.
0: <laughs> well, no, that's an interesting picture to think of that your desires uh, end up becoming what you what you are. Uh, they're not just idle things that uh, are impotent. They they. They end up influencing you and uh, creating the person that you become, um, so it 's nothing to mess around with. Um, Jesus uh, feeding thousands and walking on water. Oh, I guess one question I will ask about, other than Jesus fed thousands and he walked on water, uh, but back to John the Baptist again, tell me if we talked about this already. Uh, I heard a an interpretation one time of uh, the the dancing girl. Um, Salome, that uh, she was actually very young, maybe even preteen mm. type of a girl. And she w- what her dancing was, was not so much a um, seductive, sensual type of a dance, but it was more like a silly, um, childish, uh, you know, prancing around and being silly and entertaining the grown ups, And that that was really what, uh, you know, melted, sort of, in, I mean, in a uh, certainly an a earthly, grotesque kind of way, but still not quite so much hormonal, but more so melted Herod's heart and, and said, Oh, whatever you want, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And uh, I, I wondered if, uh,
1: it, it, did we talk about that at all? No, no and I had never heard that, that kind of uh, uh, imagery before. It, it, I don't know if there's anything
0: that I can say based on the text that flatly contradicts it. Um, I, I guess there's certainly the possibility uh, it, it, I had just never heard of that before and uh, I don't know if there's anything uh, behind uh, whether or not that's a good interpretation or uh, if it's if it'd be undermining to the gospel to interpret it that way um, do you have any kind of a reaction to it?
1: The only reaction I have is just that not that it's, it makes it right but just that uh, you know, if we've been told all this time that, you know, she's probably a young lady and stands seductively, that, may, that might be the one I go with just for that reason, just the... The, the
0: preponderance the, the, of... Yeah,
1: uh, that's a good way of putting it, the preponderance it, of evidence, or not even evidence, this is the way it's been told over and over again.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, so that's, I just wanted to throw that out there, okay. and I'm not saying I endorse that interpretation. Uh, maybe it doesn't even make any difference for the text, but... Uh, that's pretty much all I had on chapter 14.
1: Well, then in chapter 15, uh, the Pharisees and the experts in the law came to Jesus and asked him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat bread. And the the thing is, is not that they need to be washing their hands with soap and water, uh, but that they're breaking the tradition. And it's all about these uh, this outward righteousness. And I think that's the way a lot of Well, both Christians and non-Christians are today, that we become more interested in civic righteousness than Christ's righteousness, that people often want to appear good and right in front of people, but they're not actually concerned about being right with God through Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. um, Again, I'll I'll use the example I referenced a couple of, an episode or two ago of uh, the series. It's called The Chosen. And uh, again, this is maybe a total fabrication and never really happened, but the directors uh, or the producers or writers of that series imagined what it would be like if Nicodemus was preaching or teaching at a synagogue on Sabbath about fishermen who would go out and fish on the Sabbath and break the Sabbath law by fishing on the Sabbath. And, And Nicodemus uh, is saying he, he's trying to stop them from going and fishing on the Sabbath. And, and he says, if you buy their fish, aren't you contaminated by the uh, sin of uh, them working on the Sabbath? When you take that into your body, uh, aren't you sharing in the pollution of their sin? And you could sort of see the writers setting up the idea that uh, Jesus is going to come along and say, no, no. It's not what you put into your body that makes you right or wrong with God. It's what comes out of your heart that makes you uh, condemned or, or justified in God's sight. And um, and I think there was this would be really interesting to dig into deeper if we had time to think about all the ways that people say, you know, oh, we got to boycott, uh, the, you know, this company because they uh, support pornography or we've got to we've got to uh, not buy, pri-, you know, whatever it is, uh, eat, eating certain things, eating a certain diet um whatever it might be, I'm I'm right or wrong by what I take in or put into my body uh, rather than what comes out and what Christ has done in my body.
1: Yeah. And that goes to verse 17. Do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated into the latrine? And uh, Jesus got earthy in his language. Bathroom humor. Yeah. And you know, it struck me with the EHV translation of latrine, and what's interesting is, so I went searching for this. And I'm, mean, if any of you are interested in uh, any of this latrine talk, you can go on the Wartburg project, the fact facts page, FAQ. Uh, they're the ones that put together the translation for the EHV because it is interesting because I don't remember reading about toilets and latrines and so forth right. and other translations. Right. And what they pointed out was, I'll just do a summary, is in Jesus' day, the Jews did have toilets. Mm-hmm. They had running water uh, and latrines can then be, but they also had things like outhouses and porta potties. And so they purposely chose the word latrine, even though today, latrine, they said, we use it more with military. But the idea with a latrine is that it can be both with running water or without. Hmm. So I just throw, throw that out there just because it is such a unique translation for this, for this Greek word here.
0: Yeah, uh, and if you visited the Holy Land, you probably saw one of those sites where you've got the Roman uh, remains of toilets that that were, it was basically like a a hair salon today. You've got a whole bunch of chairs that are all in a circle. You're basically sitting across from one another. And I I don't, if I remember correctly, they aren't
1: divided necessarily by men and women. Okay. Um, I remember being in Ephesus and they showed us, just imagine... A, a large bathroom, say at a baseball stadium, and you got row after row of yeah. stalls or urinals, but no walls, no indicate. dividers. You're, yeah. you're sitting right next to the other person. Uh, you know, but to understand, and the reason we bring this up is, people in Jesus day they had to use the latrine too, yeah. and so when Jesus is talking about this, that's what he's saying. It's not what comes out of your body that way. It's what comes out of your body. From sin. It, and
0: his point is, uh, if you're so worried about putting uh, t- uh, uh, unrighteousness into your body, uh, unholy things, toxic things, whatever it might be, he says, obviously, he's not telling us to go hog wild and fill ourselves with any, every kind of uh, poison or toxin that we can find uh, that will do damage. Yes. But he's saying, actually, your body already has a purification system in it. You have a, you have a liver, you have you you can get all of the unpleasant stuff out. Uh, it's not what you put into your body that makes you right with God or not.
1: And then looking at these terms too, I thought it was interesting. Uh, in chapter fourteen, uh, Jesus feeds the five thousand, and then here he feeds the four thousand. But the Greek term for the baskets, uh, the seven baskets here in feeding the four thousand is a different word than the 12 baskets. Uh, so Jesus, you know, why does the Holy Spirit use two different terms for this? Well, a spurus, which is the Greek word for the baskets in chapter uh, 15, uh, is the same kind of Greek word for the basket that Paul is let down <clears throat> from the wall in Acts chapter 9. So this is probably a large basket, So, the the idea is you might have larger baskets, fewer of them. So, there may be more food that's left over from the 4,000 as opposed to in chapter 14 of the feeding of the 5,000. There's 12 baskets, but they're kafinos and they're smaller baskets. Again, uh, just the idea that as English-speaking people in the English word, we translate it basket, but the Holy Spirit gave two specific baskets. In different words for these baskets that would have meant something to everyone else that was reading this in the original language, I I think that uh, other
0: term you used that sounds like uh, it might be related to our modern term coffin, mm. coffinos, uh, a receptacle yeah, of yeah, some kind. Um, uh, we sort of breezed over the the faith of the Canaanite woman. Uh, Jesus praised her as being someone who. Um, has great faith. Uh, This is somebody who didn't even grow up in the Jewish culture. Uh, I'll just really quickly give my summary of this since we talked about it before, that um, first of all, keep a close eye and ear on Jesus's responses to her. At no point does he ever say no to her request. He makes it seem like he's against her. He, makes, he acts like he doesn't want to do it, but he never actually comes. You need to look at his words. What do his verbal pronouncements say? And the answer is never no. And she hears that too. And she keeps on trying. And she makes that beautiful confession about herself. Yes, Lord, I am a dog. Uh, And I also
1: know that you show mercy to dogs. Anything else on this chapter? I'm done. All right. So we're staying in in Matthew the rest of October. uh, And I'm still sticking with nicknames from the Flash universe. And here, Jeremy, I thought that since you were going to start using nicknames for me with the Z, and knowing I'm using nicknames for you with Flash, you would have used this one. Uh, What is it? zoom yeah that's the one you should have used it's the reverse of, of flash you got it written down but you I, didn't use I, it i had them in
0: a certain order i yeah. was gonna
1: well i jumped ahead for you so i'll explain on facebook who zoom is because i know you don't know who it is I, either the alter ego for reverse flash oh okay i wrote that down too all right I, i'm proud of you i've, getting I've there. been doing my research all right well stay thirsty my friends then drink deeply from the water of life